This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially as you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that, that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 531, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. It's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife. But I've been working, man, dang near all my life, and I'll keep on working. Long as my two hands are fit to use. I'll drink my beer in a tavern, sing a little bit of these working man blues. Hello and welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 531. I am Josh Flanagan, and I'm going to sound relatively normal today. And from Florida, it's Ron Richards. Hello. Sounds quite a little less than normal, but we like him anyway. Uh, and on death's door, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, everybody. My voice is a little better than it was earlier this week, but not that much. It's fun. It's, a lot, it's real fun. I love it. I love being sick perpetually forever. I just, <laughs> I just love that Like we will do this freaking show no matter what. I don't know how not to. We're going to do this show. We're our fanboy, and we're going to do this show because we like comics or something. Every week we read a stack of our comics, and one of us picks their favorite book. We call that the pick of the week. Uh, we will talk about that book through hell or high water, other books, some other stuff, and maybe read some listener mail or, you know, whatever. It's it, Listen, we're trying to have fun here. Your spoiler warning is that this is a review show. Do, come on, connect the dots. Do the math. There's going to be a little bit of spoilers. Uh, that's, that's on you. You know about it. Ron, you had the pick of the week. Yes, and given that my, my travel plans put me in Florida here, probably should have skipped the show, but when I found out that uh, Star Wars special C-3PO was coming out, I was like, there's no way I'm missing this week. That's true. Uh, so, so it was an early running front runner for Pick of the Week, and after I got through my whole stack of books, at the end of the day, the creative team of James Robinson and Tony Harris, who are the legendary creators of one of our favorite collective, one of the few series we all agree on universally, uh, Starman, uh, reunite to do this one shot about C-3PO. And, okay, so there's, there's a couple a couple things going on here. All right. So first off, <laughs> I will admit that I am in Florida to run a half marathon that is Star Wars themed. Right. So that already, already that. Check. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so that's, that's one. So I, I, I got a predilection towards Star Wars. Number two, much ballyhoo was made for this one shot because it was announced back last fall, right? And it was picking up the thread of the red herring that was C-3PO's red arm that appeared prominently in the press materials leading up to The Force Awakens coming out in movie theaters, which I firmly believe was J.J. Abrams trying to distract people with something so that they didn't look too closely at the rest of the movie. And I don't know if you guys agree with me. I don't recall anything about the red arm happening before the movie. But to be fair, it we was were trying not to pay attention to those kinds of things yeah, at all. True, yeah, we were we were in a media blackout. I did go back, I did look, and it was in. There was a photograph, and there was much speculation, and everyone wanted to know what why does C three P have a red arm? And so then Marvel announced that, that this one shot would tell the story, 
and then uh, and then it didn't come out for a long time. But you so, know, who cares? To, uh, right? <laughs> to the, I was watching the the Force Awakens extras, the behind the scenes stuff, and they get to the part where they talk to Golden Tony, Anthony Daniels, for those of you, uh, yes, <laughs> hit the lingo, and he was making a really big deal out of the red arm in those, and I just watched that like three days ago. So when I saw the comic come out, it, not. Like he was just like you know they've really they've really upped the stakes with this red arm thing and I was like oh come on <laughs> and like and then I feel like that's what they sold him right yes no, no your arm is red this time so even though you're 75 we're gonna pack you up in this tin can dude the arm's red we're not gonna do it in the movie it's in a comic book but still and he was like all right then because you know he if he's anything he's a team player. Exactly. So, so now, so, so that that's setting the stage. So, you know, C three P has a red arm. We're gonna this one shot's gonna tell us how. So now we go, we go a little deeper, one level deeper, and you've got James Robinson writing it. Where if there was ever a comic book writer who was put on this earth to write C three P O, it is James Robinson. I just want to back up and I want to explain every everything we're saying here. I you might suspect there's irony in it. There's not. None. And, None. And I want to. I want to further. I want to further underscore. I have the utmost respect for James Robinson. I think he's one of the best comic book writers. Uh, he's very talented. But given, and admittedly, some of this is because I know him and we've hung out and all this sort of stuff. But he is perfect for C three PO, and it really comes across in, in in this comic as i read it of course i'm reading it with golden tony's voice doing the the lines and it you know and and light you know my my criticism of poe dameron last week where i was reading princess leia's lines and they felt felt stilted and unnatural and kind of very you know like that sort of thing this felt this flowed as if it was you know it was you know c-3po it totally worked then moving over to the art side, you have Tony Harris, who uh, admittedly his style has evolved since we since we first saw him on Starman back in the '90s. It was 20 years ago. Of course it will. Do you yeah, remember that yeah. series he did he did with uh, with with B. Clay Moore? The what was it? The Whistling Skull. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's so, relying way yeah. less on photo ref at this point. Exactly, and I actually yeah. So this this was very this was more akin to the look of the Whistling Skull series, and I yeah and and, and you nailed it, Josh. Less on photo reference and more on cartooning. And I thought this was this was delightful. I mean, like his the, his his whole art approach, um, drawing both droids that we've seen before, like C three PO and a and a two one B droid, and you know, like that sort of thing, and droids that we've never never seen before. I thought he nailed it, and his layouts are always dynamic, um, and they continue to be in this issue. So, what's happened in this book, and what James Robinson has done with this story? And to set the stage, it's a one-shot story that tells the tale of a group of droids, including C-3PO, that have crashed. All the crew of their ship have perished. The droids are the only one who survived. They have a prisoner droid from the First Order who they believe has information about the whereabouts of Admiral Akbar, who is being held prisoner. Which, by the way, I want to read that story. <laughs> yep. And, Akbar down. And, yeah, Akbar down. And so what we're watching is these droids try to, you know, go from the wreckage to get to a point where they can get to a homing beacon and then be rescued and that sort of thing. And so it's this kind of adventure across a, a dangerous planet. And one by one, all the other droids perish until finally it's C-3PO and this First Order droid. And then shit gets existential. Like, it got deep. Yeah. I mean, this is this is actually like almost sort of classic robot AI existential exploration. And... I was impressed by it. It's actually pretty not Star Wars because they've never. I mean, I, I've had this conversation, but never. You know, it's never in the context of Star Wars, and uh, I was actually kind of surprised they let them do it on a story that's so "quote unquote" big because it's about the arm. Yeah. It was like sort of the big deal, and they just <laughs> the nature of what is life. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, the the great thing is that that even this like much like the arm had literally no importance in the movie. This story isn't about the arm either. Because the arm is not important. The arm is not important. <laughs> it's a fucking red arm. It's not a big deal. Exactly. <laughs> it's the same, Connor, right? But it's red. Connor, I get the sense that you don't like the red arm. I don't give a shit about the red arm. Why is the arm red? Because it needed to replace it, and the only one they had was red. I don't care. No. Okay. Well, no. It has a much more, has a much yeah, more touching I don't, Anything more than that, I don't care. Friends. <laughs> so, well... Just, it's just like it's just like the movie, pals. He's got he's got a pal. 
I can't think of the movie, but you know. Young Guns. There's two of them. Young Guns? Thank you. Shane? 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 It's it's basically like Young Guns. They're pals. He made a friend. That's what the story's about. Well, what's great is that not only did he make a friend, but he made a friend. It's like it's like almost like a a civil war, brother against brother, like like North and South kind of like you know, because the 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 first order droid asks questions like, well, why are we against each other? We're droids. Like, what what you know? Is there a world where we're on the same side? And it was just yeah, super deep. It's not Um, about AI. It's about war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, this this story worked on so many levels. It's like fascinating. And and Josh, I, I thought of you because whenever we talk about what Star Wars like EU fiction we've enjoyed, we always talked about those tales of books. Yeah, you know, like tales of the bounty hunters and tales of Jawa Pod. This feels like a tales of the droid story. It does. It feels exactly like that. Yeah. 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 As a Star Wars fan, it paid off. It wasn't about the arm. You know, there's a whole section where they're talking about having, you know, knowing that their memories have been wiped, but having lingering visions and memories of those memories be- that were wiped. And there was one panel where C-3PO is half of his face, and then it's just a rough shot of, of feed, you know, and, like, you get the sense that, oh, you know, his memory was wiped, but he has echoes of what he had experienced, and it just... It got super deep, and I just loved it. It was great. It was yeah, it was but fantastic. like that deepness is then is sort of counteracted slightly by the fact that it's C three PO we're talking about. <laughs> so that and that's again that's a good thing. Like it, it works. Like yeah. it's it's like wow, this is oh wait no, it's just C three PO, and you sort of ping pong back and forth between those extremes, and so you're like oh that's that's funny because because C three PO is inherently hilarious. He just yes, he just yeah. is. If you've been thinking and about so, and talking about C three PO for four decades, like I have, <laughs> you know, yeah. And so just to wrap it up, and to anyone who didn't read the book like Connor, C-3PO loses his arm in this adventure, and the First Order droid sacrifices himself in an acid rainstorm to go turn on the homing beacon to save C-3PO, and the acid makes the black paint on him run off and reveal that he was originally a red droid, and so C-3PO takes his arm and wears it in tribute to his friend who sacrificed himself. It was, so it was a red primer. It was a, they, yeah. it was a, it was a primer coat. Yeah, because so. that's that's in Star Wars now. They have primer. They haven't sorted out how to do one paint. <laughs> <laughs> paint and primer together. I, I didn't even think about they, that. That's why it's. Did they go to Space Home Depot? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God, Abu Lowe's. Abu <laughs> Lowe's. I just I think what it is they they put their resources into figure out interstellar travel. But not so much <laughs> improvement materials, and which is fair. It's a fair. And the empire yeah. just doesn't even. They just use black. So actually, there was an empire. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so so this was great. If you're a Star Wars fan, read it. It's it's much more than just the red arm. Really deep, really well done, and a testament to show how great James Robinson can be in terms of a single story, nailing a character, giving you more than just a standard kind of just like oh here's a red arm. So uh, great job by that team. C3PO, good stuff. It was fun. When I read it, I was like. Oh, thank goodness Ron is, is going to dial into the show this week because I, I need I would have been very upset if this book came out and I couldn't talk about it with you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. refuses to play along. I don't want to read the comics. Why is that a problem <laughs> for everybody? It's, it, it's so much fun, Connor. It's so much fun. That's fine. I mean, enjoy it. I'm happy you're happy. I don't want to read it. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Well, yeah, so we, start, we started this week off by starting with Star Wars Corner. So we're going to hold on, hold on, Corner. hold on, hold on. Before... Before you move on, while you were talking, I was very curious because you're talking about how how emotional this is for C-3PO, and he's he's tri- it's a tribute to his friend and his, and his red arm. But having just watched the movie, and I fa- I just looked up the script online to confirm, in the film he, he talks about how he needs to get a, his real a real arm attached. <laughs> that is true. He says, "Yes, I must true. get my proper arm reinstalled." It kind of undercuts the story when it doesn't really match up. To the film, he has memory wipes since then. Well, no, the th- the, no, no, he didn't have a, the thing about this is that it's not identified how long he had the red arm for, and it could have been he could have had the red arm for a long period, and then he just got tired of it. Let's <laughs> tribute to his friend. He only knew the guy for like a day. Ron, if you if you died <laughs> tragically and we put up a little memorial to you, it wouldn't be like, oh god, that memorial's been there for a while. We like to get that wall space back. <laughs> I could see that. It wasn't. It wasn't lifetime friends, like Josh said. They they knew each other for a day. It was just like, all right, I'll wear this red arm for a little bit. It's kind of like wearing a black armband. At some point, you got to move on. You're really uh, uh, underselling our friendship here. <laughs> no, 
I think I'm overselling our friendship. I think overselling <laughs> might be accurate. How long do I have to leave these pictures of Connor up? He's been dead for 10 years. <laughs> I need this wall space. I got a great painting that would go wonderful there. <laughs> when can we stop doing this podcast? He's been dead for years. Move on to Darth Vader. <laughs> so, yes, Darth Vader number 19 wraps up this storyline that uh, I, I think the, the <laughs> highlight of the. the the highlight of this was the murder droid in the beginning with the loudspeaker, Josh. Yes. I don't know yeah. if you agree with me or not, but yeah, the murder droid rallying the troops and, and psyching out the humans. I thought that was great. But I'm very excited to see that the next with the next issue we're going to get some Emperor. So I'm, um, I'm excited to get back to the, the Empire and away from this planet. Yeah, yeah. I will say I thought that I was getting a little tired of, of I forget that character's name, Evil C-3PO. But uh, right. that was funny and it was well written. Uh, like yep. in a comic book, I think uh, the dialogue was used really well where he was like, I, I definitely did not make them drain blood. It was a nice pickup from last issue. Yeah, I liked I like the idea that we are traveling to a part of the Star Wars world, you know, where there's a whole other thing going on, but they're still under the heel of the Republic. I, I didn't need to stay there forever. This was long enough. But that was like that was kind of interesting. You know, I, I think Darth Vader's done pretty well. You know, just in general. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's, it's the name of the title, and he should be. You know, but, like, I don't read this and go, that doesn't seem like Vader. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's like Vader. I, that, I get that. I like his sort of always sort of quiet menace in this, and this was a, was a good, good little story. Yeah, yeah, this, uh, this arc, I wasn't, admittedly, I wasn't too jazzed about it, but as it ended, I thought it ended strong. So, uh, yeah. but I'm ready to move yeah. on, ready, f- ready for the next chapter. Definitely. We've been talking about Brian Wood a lot lately because of Starve. And some other books. But uh, Black Road number one with art by Carrie Brown uh, came out from Image Comics. And it's back to Northlanders. This is like a genre <laughs> mashup. It's a detective story set in the Viking world. Yeah. It's written very much like a noir, like especially the narration is very much like a noir yeah. detective story. That's true. By the way, I just, again, when I said back to Northlanders, not a complaint. No. Not even close. I want to make sure that's clear. Although I didn't like this quite as much as I was hoping. It was good. But the work he's been doing lately has been so stellar. This was not as good as Northlanders and not as good as his other work that's been coming out lately. But it was still good enough where I'm going to continue reading it because I like Viking stories. And The thing I remember I, about I, Northlanders I, is that it was, it was super – it was very stripped down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's working a little more in that style like as opposed to Starve. And I'm guessing – I'm guessing that as it – you know, this storyline goes on, you'll, you'll get more of that. That's my prediction. Maybe. I was glad to see the return of the Vikings. I like. I actually really was really really happy to see this. I thought this felt quick. Like I felt like I. I it was another first issue where I was like, all right, that's that's it. Like you know, okay. Like it, it kind of set the stage, and I feel like the next issue is going to be the one that's going to knock my socks off. Um, I've been a lot of that lately. I mean, like I feel like yeah. that's a thing that's happening frequently. That said, I thought Gary Brown is great. I, I, I love yes. Gary. I love the I love the art on this. So really good. I really like the the relative size of the characters. You know, or like the main Magnus, the black. It was like he was gigantic, which I think works really well in comic book form. You know, works really well in physical form. But it's hard to do in real life, where you get that. Uh, what's that? Guy? The in Game of Thrones, the uh, the mountain, that Hodor. kind of thing. Or the mountain. Yeah. Also Hodor. Hodor. Yeah. It was interesting that the art seemed to get more spare as the issue went on. It was very <laughs> yeah. first. The first at the beginning, they had very detailed backgrounds and lots lots of information on the panel, and then by the middle with the sword fight, it was completely blank backgrounds and. I mean, it was, it was a rainstorm, so it makes sense, but it's just interesting how that sort of shifted visually. Well, let's hope that was a stylistic choice and not, oh, shit, running out of time. It was good, <laughs> but a couple of panels, like the during the sword fight where there, there's a lot of empty sky space and it's, where the dialogue balloon is Magnus the Black, uh, right after yeah. he stabs the guy with the two swords. It just feels like... I feel like that's a composition choice. It's just an odd panel. There's not a lot happening. I like it. Yeah, I didn't really like it that much. Yeah, I, I know what you're I like, okay, I like the sh- the shape and the placement. Like, I like that. I like that sort of empty space because it sort of places them. Like, they're they're close-up fighting on the first two panels, and then you pull back, and they're just sort of on this swept field. That being said, like, the sort of dynamism of where the figures are and what they're doing is a little bland. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a little bland. Okay, fair, fair enough. I like this a lot of ink on the page kind of thing is what's going on, which, I, you know, it's it's super loose in the way that, like, if you take that page that you're looking at and go back one that top panel where it's sort of his forehead and it's all shadowed and it's just, you know, it, those are all the, the strokes there and the lines. And I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's funny. It's, it's funny. Cause, cause you know, you talk about a lot of ink on the page and I think conversely, uh, looking at moon Knight number one, which also came out this week, 
you know, a, a week without C-3PO, Moon Knight number one would have been my pick. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, written by Jeff Lemire and the art by by Greg Smallwood. And that said, Lemire is great, and I think you know, like it, we we know, you know, we're huge fans of Jeff Lemire, and and he's doing a real cerebral kind of mental story, and it's like Mark Spector as a mental patient kind of thing. But what knocked my socks off was uh, Greg Smallwood on this book. The the and the, he's the art been on it since yeah, uh, Shalvey left, right? I mean, he was the guy that Brian Wood did it with. I didn't read it. He, uh, he did a couple issues. I think he might okay. have dropped off. When, Cull- when Cullen Bunn took over, I think it might have been somebody else. I don't know. I, I didn't keep up with it after when Declan and, and Ellis left. But now that this is Lemire, I was like, yeah, sure. And I heard good things about Smallwood. But there's just a pa- page after page of just really great layouts that help move the story along. You know, from a in a visual standpoint, and I know that's comics. I know that's very obvious. <laughs> but no, but I I just felt as if they they were as important of an element as anything else on the page, whereas as opposed to just you know putting together six panels and that sort of thing. I, I just, like his faces. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And and I really like the shifting between the world that Spectre thinks he's in. You know, the the, the fight with the orderlies where they turn into those uh, Egyptian cats. Mm-hmm. And looking, you know, looking outside and seeing the big pyramid and seeing Manhattan as Egypt, and then you know, then snapping to and t- realizing that it's not Egypt, it's regular Manhattan. I, it just, it just really grabbed me. I thought it was really, really impressive. Uh, you know, I'm, I've got mixed feelings as to whether or not we need to go back to the Moon Knight well because I feel like they keep trying to make Moon Knight work and it just isn't really happening after El- Ellis and Shalvey. But I think this is the best, the best shot since. That's why I didn't read it because I, I saw the cover and I was like, I don't know. I can't do another Moon Knight yeah. book right now. I just, I've, I tried the last like three or four and I just. I gotta take a break. I agree. I, I mean, actually, what Ron said is, is the same thing. Like, I, I don't like Moon Knight. That's where it's coming. Like, I like the work that's being done here. I think the art really is stellar. It's great. That Ellis Shalvey, you know, Bel Air run, that was the most I've ever liked Moon Knight. And it was like, yeah. it, it almost didn't matter that it was Moon Knight, I guess is the point. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna say, it was, it, was the, it was the process and it was the work, it was the, the, the work that they did that happened to be Moon Knight. It could have been anybody. <laughs> That they ciphered through sort of the, the 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 things that are Mark Spector, but as we're into this, like I am much less interested in. I mean, uh, you you guys, I've spoken about you know hallucinations before. Like I, I don't want to read a book all about hallucinations. It's really kind of cool to do from a technical standpoint, but I get really bored with it from a story standpoint. This is this is by the way, this is this is Moon Knight in one floor of the cuckoo's nest. That's what this looks and feels like when they're in like the uh, the institution. So. No, I don't know if he's gonna go all fully, you know, Jack Nicholson on it. But like, it's great looking. It just the, there's the one sort of counselor, and she's wearing red, and she's like the only color in the whole book. So she just pops off the page. But uh, sort of as a plot, as a thing I want to read going forward, I, I just I find myself not interested in it. That's fair. But it it was really well done. It was like it really was. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, I was I did not regret reading it at all. Yep. Take that as you will. So in Batman Superman 31, we have part two of that Superman story that began with the last issue of Superman. There are ending things in the very classic Superman way where the story runs through all the different Superman books. The problem with this issue was that apparently Doug Monkey, the artist, didn't get several memos about what's going on in DC right now. Number one, he draws Superman in the old armored costume that's covered in lines. That's been gone for a while now. He draws Batman in the new costume except that it's really only the new logo. The rest of the, of the costume is, the, is old. He's got the lines on his chest that, that are gone. I just feel like, I mean, we, you know, I know, Josh, you were talking on social media this week about how people blame editors for the wrong things, but I feel like that's, if that's not the job of the editor to update the artist on what the characters look like, I don't know what is. I think you're right on that one, but I also think that, you're absolutely right, but I, I also think that, I feel like on some level there's, there's a choice being made about what to sacrifice for that and apparently on this they decided not to <laughs> they were like well we could fix it but meh. the other memo is that alfred has got two hands no i mean <laughs> i was happy to see it but it's just like in conjunction with everything else it just feels like doug monkey isn't up on what's going on in the in the world he's drawing can you blame him no not at all <laughs> Here's a question. I'm not reading this, Connor, so I don't know. But maybe is this is this a continuity book, or was this like a inventory story that they pulled off to publish this? this I month? just said it's part two of the story that began last week in Superman. Okay. Okay. All right. I missed that. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> so there's no excuse. Yeah, it's Superman's grand farewell tour. They now that he th- knows he's dying. Last week he visited his friends, you know, Lana and Lois and those people. This week he goes to Gotham to tell Batman he's not going to be around much longer. It was good writing at Tomasi again with this issue and, and Batman's not believing it's true and not, not accepting that they can't fix it and then 
when everything gets quiet, silently smashing a, a, his computer monitor with his fist was was a nice silent moment. I don't know what's going on with this weird, glowing doppelganger Superman who appeared in the last issue, but it was good. I just, I just kept getting bugged by the art, but what can you do? It's the same thing. Like if if something takes you out of it, then it takes you out of it. Right. Which must be doubly irritating because Tomasi, former editor. Right. Right. Come on, I thought you had my back here. What the what the heck? I mean, it looked it looked good from our standpoint. It's just you know, there was a, they're not. It's just a mess. I, I feel Greg Capullo's pain. Who earlier he couldn't read any more DC books because they were everybody was messing up his new costume. It was the belt. Specifically, no one can draw the belt. The belt, but I mean, here the here the chest is all wrong. So. You know, what can you do? It's DC Comics. Apparently, it's a challenging, uh, it's a challenging prospect to, to deal with. What's not challenging is thinking to yourself, you know what? I like what these guys do. They're out there. Ron is God knows where Ron is. They're killing themselves. Connor, Connor <laughs> sounds like death again. But every week, like clockwork, uh, you're going to get a show. So if that's important to you, you like what we do, you like the thing, and many you do, we appreciate that. But you can go to ifanboy.com slash support. There you can find a couple of things. You can go to the Amazon link where you can purchase things on Amazon. Whatever the thing is you want lately, I really like to buy guitar pedals. That's been at the Amazon. We can, have, we can have a little piece of that. Or whatever it is you're into. Uh, something, something to do with sheep. I don't know. Or you can become an iFanboy member and you're donating a regular uh, $3 a month or $30 a year if you want to do that or any amount that you'd like. Uh, that's up to you. If you just want to kick in a little bit to show that you appreciate what we do, then we would be much appreciative of that. And that is how this all works. So thanks to everybody and iFanboy.com slash support. Why are we talking about Guardians of the Galaxy? That was one thing I wanted to bring up, which was so so I sat down to read Guardians of the Galaxy, which is you know still written by Bendis and with art by Valerio Shidi and... There was a time when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, and it was at the top of my stack, one of the books I'm most excited about. And this issue is as far away from that as it's been. Like, I'm just like, it, there, there's just no, there's no through line with this series. There's no energy behind it. There's no excitement. And I think that's really sad, because I really like the characters. So what is the problem? I don't know where, because, so what, what's been going on is that Bendis has been doing this protracted story of, Peter Quill becoming the king of Spartax and then something horrible happening and becoming a, you know, like the, I, I forget exactly what the, the event was, but planets got destroyed, really bad shit happened. And now he is like the most wanted man in the galaxy and the team is all broken up. And this issue focused on Ben Grimm, who's a member of the team inexplicably and Rocket Raccoon saving a bunch of people on a slavery planet. And it just, each issue is disjointed. And I know he's doing the kind of thing where the team is separated and at some point they're all going to come back together and all that sort of stuff. I think last issue was, it was Quill and Kitty were trying to get out of a jam and but it just it, it it just lacks any of the energy and excitement that Guardians had like what two years ago when the movie came out you know when the team was a, a core unit and was having fun adventures and I just and I read this issue and I just got really sad because now I'm like I don't want to read this and I lo- and I I love Groot and Rocket and all, all these characters I will and admit I just to don't being know. like I feel like I'm a bit of a Guardians of the Galaxy snob. hipster snob yeah, yeah I mean in in that Embrace in that and, and I'm not even yeah, no, it's not even that, like, I read it in the 70s or whatever it was, like, but I feel like when that came out of Annihilation and it was Abnett and Lanning doing these great stories that we were all like, why aren't you all reading this? This is so good. And then it went away after 25 issues. And then they made the movie. And even before the movie came out, like, Bendis took it all over. Yep. And all of a sudden it was different. That was, wasn't the thing that I had really grown to like. But then the movie was the thing that I had grown to like. That movie was 100% based on what Abnett Landing did with, um, you know, Andy Schmidt had put that together. And then it turned into a different thing. Like, here's Iron Man, though. And I don't know. It's not, it's not what I liked. Yep. It's not necessarily bad. Yeah. I just, I'm not interested. Yeah. And this is basically, so it's basically, that this, that's the situation we're in, where these are characters who I loved, who I've read for years, who I've loved for years. And I just, I, and after this issue, I'm like, I, I'm not interested in this at all. And I just, it makes me sad. So. You hung on for like two years longer than I did, though. I, I well, is is that a surprise? It's the story of Ron. No, yeah, yeah, and me. All right, so, I'm out. Uh, so moving on, real quickly, Citizen Jack number five from Image, written by Sam Humphreys with art by Tommy Patterson. I hate politics, and we know this. And so the the more that the real world politics have uh, continued on, the less I've wanted to read this because it reminds me of all that. But there was a moment in this issue that reminded me why ridiculous, outrageous comics are fantastic. 
and that's why I wanted to highlight it. So the main character, Jack, who's running for you know running for president, who's loud and and obnoxious and is is uh, under the control of a demon. Apparently, he got into uh, in the previous issue he got into a fight with a uh, news commentator who's also a dolphin, a talking dolphin. True. So now in this issue, uh, the talking dolphin, uh, due to his injuries from the fight, is in a wheelchair, and Tommy Patterson drew a hole in the back of the wheelchair for the dolphin's fin to go through when he's in the wheelchair, and that made me laugh. <laughs> I got it. We were talking about this recently. I'm still reading this, but I keep wanting to not read it because uh, this is one of those books where if you take out the fantasy element of the supernatural, whatever it is, the demon, what, even if it's just a hallucination, I don't know. Yeah. You take that out, I like this book a lot more. That being yeah. said, I'm totally cool with the dolphin and not explaining why there's a fucking dolphin. Right, who is right, exactly. Who took over the show. <laughs> yep. That part does not bother me. The demon, I hate. I'm like, all right, all right, get over it. But the rest <laughs> of it, it's 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 a dichotomy. I'm still reading it. I like, I, I get to it, I'm like, I don't know if I want to read this. And I read it, and I'm like, ah, oh, that makes me mad. And I read the next one. Yep. Yeah, I, I think we were just talking about that. Like, they're always adding a supernatural element that doesn't need to be there. But the dolphin, play ball. Yep, exactly. I'm glad we're on the same page with the dolphin issue, Josh. Oh, pro, so. we're, we're pro dolphin. Josh has a dolphin carved out in his contract. <laughs> dolphin it up. Yep. You know, we were talking about first issues that don't quite get to the meat. Yep. Heartthrob number one from Oni Press, story by Christopher Sabella and uh, art by C.P. Wilson the the fourth, color by Nick Filardi. I was looking forward to this as a thing. I like Wilson's art a lot. And the cover promises a thing that wasn't really in the book. I feel like this ticks two boxes. It ticks the box of the first issue and it ticks the unnecessary supernatural element box. Yeah, you know what? I almost didn't think of the thing as supernatural because it's pretty vague, but yes. Once it got to the point in the issue where it was revealed, well, not revealed, I suspected it long before that. I was like, oh, I thought this was just going to be a crime book. And so I, I I was not into it after that. But there wasn't even any crime. I mean, we didn't even get to that. That's the first issue thing that didn't happen. Well, it happened at the very last page as a sort of flashback. Yeah. A flash forward kind of thing. Basically, the, the setup here is it's 1977, I believe, February, early February, just before I was born. And a girl is, you hear the story of her growing up with a bad heart, and, and she gets a, an implant, and you know her life is shitty, basically, and she's really unhappy. We've Not seen this implant, kind of thing a she lot. Gets a, she gets a replacement heart. A transplant. Transplant, yeah. She transplant. Like a robot heart. Yeah. Is it? Whatever. No, um, so you said it's not an implant. It's a transplant. Different. I said transplant. No, you said implant. I didn't mean That's to say fine. implant if I said, said booby traps. Whatever. Booby traps. <laughs> so I said I said booby traps. Um, <laughs> either way, like, it just, it, we spent a lot of time, which wasn't necessarily bad, but, like, talking about how we felt and whatever. And I was like, the cover is promising a, a thing that does not happen here. And, and at the end, I was like, I'm not sure. And then the story, I guess it's a romance, but I just feel like they needed to rejigger this a little bit. It's not bad. It was good, but it needs to be jigger. It didn't seem that setting in the 70s had any sort of story implications whatsoever. There was nothing about the 70s that did anything to the story. She, at one point, she, she even says May, which isn't something that was said in the 70s. Like, other than musical... It just means the characters can't talk to each other on cell phones. So that's it, a challenge. I guess, but other than, like, music references, there was nothing about the story that made it inherently 70s. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the heart transplant... Yeah, I mean, that was really at the heart transplant being new, but the, even the characters didn't look like they were in the 70s. It just... That's it. It felt like an odd choice to make that happen and then not make any attempt to make it authentically in that time period. And also, the main character just kind of really unlikable. Well, seven a bad go, sure. I'm going to keep reading it. I want this to be a thing I like, but I think it, it could have used a little work. Yeah, I agree. Ron, all new X-Men number eight. Yes. Despite Doctor Strange's creepy third eye... I like this issue because it resolved my biggest problem in the book currently, which is that I'm just I was sick of Hank's moping. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, I guess it was good because it was a little more proactive, Hank. Well, well, well by the end he's like, you need to realize you're not an idiot and stop moping around. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was a good turn. It was a good turn. I thought it was. I thought it was an interesting kind of pseudo collaboration between Dennis Hopeless and Jason Aaron, who's writing. Doctor Strange, right. because they are they are friends, and you know they are friends. And I was actually talking to Jason, and he's talking about collaborating with Dennis, and you know that sort of thing. So when I because when I saw Doctor Strange on the cover of the X Men, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want Doctor Strange in my X Men. That's like chocolate in my peanut butter, you know? Why? But <laughs> I don't know because it's, it's I don't feel like those two kind of line up. That's what makes stories interesting. 
Yeah, no, I, I see that. No, I like this, but I was more, I was more kind of annoyed by this. I found myself missing Mark Bagley on this, on this yes, uh, yes. issue. I, yeah. I actually, I actually chuckled to myself as I was reading this because, although I've been enjoying Bagley more than you, I yeah. thought perhaps even you would say that Bagley was sorely missed here. This was uh, tough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pa- yeah, Paco Diaz was the fill-in artist. Yeah, but Bagley's never needed a fill-in artist ever. I mean, he, right. he's, he's finished new since we started this. I mean, he's yeah. fast. That's actually a really great point. All right. That's a really great point. I don't know. That's interesting. Huh. Is that attributed to the hyper-fast schedule that these books are on, that they're basically shipping bi-weekly? And, and so shipping, seven... They're, they're shipping faster than even Bagley can draw. Yeah, there you go. Wow. But yeah, no, but it was a, good, it was a well-written story. Yeah, I just, I just missed Bagley on it. Yeah. Yeah. This week, Jupiter Circle, Volume 2, Number 5, was one of my favorite issues. I just continue to love the story that Mark Miller's telling about these superheroes in their prime and how they fell apart. It's just been wonderful. You're not kidding. I picked it up. I like literally sorry, I picked it up and I looked at it and I go, oh, is that Sienkiewicz? Sienkiewicz cover. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Read through the whole thing. There's actually, there's an art change in this yep. uh, where we go from Sprouse Breakdowns and Walden Wong finishes to Ty Templeton doing the last uh, eight pages. Yep. It's, it's not a complaint, basically, what I'm saying. I just really, really dug it, and I loved the turn that happened in the last issue, and then there was another turn in this one, and not for one of the first times. We were we were talking before how we wanted to sort of go back and read the original again, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, this is all the stuff that relates to that. All those dynamics in the, in the present, quote-unquote present, that Quietly's drawing, which I'm trying not to look at the previews in the back of all these issues. Oh, and, oh and then that. So then I looked at that just to look at the art, and I went, God, there's a lot of good art in those pages. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that this as a package was uh, a lot of things to make a comic book art fan happy. Speaking of quietly, by the way, did by any chance did you guys see? This is not related to Jupiter's Legacy, but did you see the video that Felix Comic Art uh, Art Dealer put together of Nick Patara visiting Quietly Studio in Scotland? I haven't watched it. Yet. Saw it. Oh my God, it's hysterical because Patara is a self-professed Quietly fan. In fact, in fact, I, I've had the honor of introducing him to Quietly for the first time, and the picture I took is in that video. Like the fir- it's the first picture, but it's three minutes of Patara losing his shit over Quietly's art, and it's very funny. So uh, go on. Not wrong. <laughs> he's, he's not even close to wrong. Yeah, but but you're you're right. This this issue was fantastic. This series is fantastic. I remember one point saying I remember reading Sex, and I was like, you know what? I think this is it for me in terms of the post superhero story. You know, in sort of working it, and and Miller's really taken. I was like, I'm, I'm digging this. I think it might be my favorite superhero book right now. It's great. It's really great. And it's great. I, I can't imagine that the present stuff won't even be better now, knowing all these characters way better than we did before. Yeah. And now we see why everything's breaking down and why everyone hates each other in the future. It's really, really good. Really good. Very fun. So oh. that is going to do it for the books of the week. Uh, we're going to move along to some questions from the audience. First up, Luke. I'm writing to you. <laughs> I couldn't even help it. It's a Star Wars sandwich on that book section. I'm writing to you because I'm not the biggest fan of Stanley's writing, but I would like to know if there is a place to get a summary of early X-Men storylines before Claremont started his run. Other than establishing the team and their character traits, is there anything important in these stories? <laughs> well, oh, well, so, so Luke, well, so yeah, so Luke, so first to answer your question just as plainly as possible, there's a wonderful website called Wikipedia that pretty much has all the information you might will ever need. They don't do like issue summaries though. There, he was um, like a sometimes they do. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. That said, I, the reason why I wanted to answer this is because I don't know if Luke realizes or not, but Stan Lee did not write the book up until when Claremont took it over. Right, that's true. In fact, Stan Lee left the book. You know, early on in the series, and the acclaimed and one of my favorites, and I believe one of Connor's favorites as well, Roy Thomas took over. Yeah, Roy Thomas. Right? And Roy Thomas did some great work on the X-Men. In fact, probably the best of it is the run that he did with none other than Neil Adams on art, which gave us that first exposure to the insane, awesome, dynamic Neil Adams uh, panel designs. Right. So... I would say to go back and find those uh, Roy Thomas, Neil Adams issues and read those because just from a craft standpoint, they're amazing. But there are some really good stories in there. There's a whole bunch of stuff with Magneto. There was stuff with a character named Eric the Red and a mystery as to what his identity, who, who, who he was. There are some good stories in the pre-Claremont X-Men era, not as melodramatic or soap opery as they were when Claremont came on board. The modern superhero soap opera that was, you know, that birth in the Claremont era 
it's just yeah. different kind of stories. It's it's different yeah. kind of storytelling. You know, what is important is uh, the question you hear them you know, so often from comic readers is, is this important that I read it? Well, do, do you want to be entertained or not? That's really the question. I mean, it's there are good sto- there are good stories there. If you want to read them, read them. If you want to have something that f- fits into your timeline, then you probably just need to start with Claremont because the stuff before that was a different team and a different era of comics. Yeah, agreed. And that said, that said, there is there is an there is an issue of I I own the oldest issue of X Men I own is X Men number eighteen. It features Iceman alone against Magneto, and Stanley wrote it. And it's a great issue, just focusing on on Iceman and being a kid and not being sure of his powers and basically surviving a one on one encounter with Magneto. And it's a, it's a, it's one of my favorite issues, partially because it's it's one of the first old comics I ever bought. But uh, I love it. I like. I think Kirby did. He I'm gonna look been... it up. Or Warner Roth. The thing is to say I don't like Stanley's writing, and to be a Marvel fan is somewhat antithetical. You might not like, say, his dialogue, for example, but. The writing is bigger than that. Yeah, but th- yeah, that's something you used to say. So I mean, I get it. You know, it there's there's a style oh, from that time I know, that people I know I get it too. Yeah. To correct me, uh, X Men number eighteen was written by Stan Lee. The cover was by Warner Roth, but the penciler was Jay Gavin. Jay Gavin. There you go. Uh, Jay Gavin. What happened to Jay Gavin? Jay. What, what became Gavin? <laughs> I've never heard that name. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I say go back and read them. Go pick up those. Um, you say go the Neil Adams ones. Yeah, definitely the, the Neil Adams ones. But I'd say read the whole run. It's only, it's only, oh geez, because uh, X Men '94 was when they they put the book on hiatus. But there was a whole stretch of reprints in there. So really, it's it's really only about seventy issues or so. Can you imagine them doing that now? That would be crazy. Yeah, doing reprints. Yeah, just not yeah, just no, being like, be you know what, we're. Uh, we're gonna put this book on hiatus. We're just gonna reprint the first couple of years of it. Enjoy. What, what about yeah. what about Len Wein and Cockrum? Didn't they? They were before Claremont. Yeah, I mean, there's and, this. But it was very, it was very brief. It was it, it was very very brief. I mean, they they did Giant Size X Men, uh-huh. and then Cockrum left first. No, sorry, I got that wrong. Len Wein and Cockrum did Giant Size X Men, and then Len Wein bailed, and Claremont took it over, and then Cockrum bailed, and Byrne came over, and then that that became what we knew. You know that that then it went from there. Yeah, Cockrum, Cockrum was only on the book for like a handful of issues. He's like, this X-Men thing's got no future. I'm out. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to another email. Brian from Long Island writes in and says, I learned a lot of vocabulary from comics in the mid-'80s. I won my fair share of Trivial Pursuit wedges and even nailed an SAT question because of them. That's why it's killing me how dumbed-down comics have become. I can't read My Little Pony to my kids because of the atrocious grammar. I've been thinking about this for several minutes, which we know <laughs> is, not enough, is not enough. Not enough, Brian. I like the um, inverse. Yep. <laughs> uh, I finally reached my breaking point with Poe Dameron last week. Charles Soule, you used the word like incorrectly not once but twice on one freaking page. Efficiency up by like 15%, and I was like 16 at Jakku. Come on, you're a lawyer. At least try to sound intelligent. I understand that kids can't help but like use it in like conversation and don't mind that they like sound like morons. But to actually put this on the printed page, is Mr. Soul catering to the youth trying to pick up readership? And for that matter, Brian Michael Bendis, why is the word crap in Spider-Man number three? That's a potty word. I'm trying to raise my daughters the right way. They're Mets fans. They're huge Star Wars fans. They love to read, but I can't give them Poe Dameron because they'll instantly become brain-dead morons. Does this type of stuff bother anyone else? No? Get off my line. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> get off my lawn. I'm too that, old for this shit. Uh, really awesome to get an email that out-olds us. And out, yes. out, out crankies. Yeah. Out-crank and out-olds <laughs> us. There's a word called colloquialism. Okay. And that's how people talk. Also, he's not Charles Soule's writing a character who speaks that way. He's he's not yeah. Poe Dameron's not a lawyer. Charles Soule is. Yeah. Charles Soule has to write the way Poe Dameron speaks, not the way Charles Soule speaks. Right. Except that, except that I argue that. Yeah, we are. I know. I know. I'm talking, I'm talking the abstract. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. But I think I think Brian does have a point, though. Oh, here we go. Ron's getting there. Oh, okay. I'm I'm either with you or against you. When I'm, I, there's a way I can back you up. Carry on. Okay, well, let's say uh, that I how to put this correctly. I'm with Brian in that I did learn a lot from reading comics in elementary school. Yes, and yes, they were they were challenging. Yes, they were challenging to read, and I learned. Sometimes I had to look up words and all this sort of stuff, and you know, and I think that 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 is that is missing from comics these days. I do agree. I think I haven't read My Little Pony, but I'm not surprised to hear that it has atrocious grammar. I you know, like I think that there there's a lot more 
more people writing a lot more comics, and so the the challenge level is very ranging, and uh, you know, it's got a wide range. But styles have changed. Yeah, yeah. You're talking a about a style a that was like Stan Lee. Stan Lee overrode everything yeah. with giant words. Yeah, and so that style yeah. carried on through the '80s, and then finally it, it went away because there was a real attempt at making. Not attempt. It was after. I mean, almost after the bankruptcy and everything. Comics were, they stripped themselves down and they tried to become much more naturalistic, much more cinematic. And so the characters and the dialogue reflected that, and they speak in a way that's how more people speak. And I hate what I'm about to say, but that is how people speak. And the fact is, it's actually going to be normalized to the point where eventually people think that the way that we speak now was incredibly informal and rude. You know, it, yep. sixty, eighty years ago. And this is the change that's happening, and it's weird. And I don't like hashtags, but that is the language, and the language is fluid. And I really liked that there are comics out there that had, when we were kids, that had big words and big concepts, and you know. But yep. that that those precise wordings didn't necessarily make them smarter. You know, yeah. I, I would go so far as to say they were probably mostly actually less sophisticated than what you're reading now. Oh yeah. I don't think that Poe Dameron is a very good example of that. But I think that overall, there's definitely a shift, and things are different than they were, and that is nothing you can do to stop that train. Right. There's nothing you can. Yeah. And 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 I think part of that is recognizing that. And and if he wants to educate his kids with comics, then he just has to be selective in what he lets them read. You know, all, I, you can I, read I all the old like, stuff. Yeah. You can, they can read then, all the old stuff that you read. Gonna get, yeah. You're going to get nailed with a lot of really things that we consider sexist, racist, and racist, yeah, right. and yep. and way out of time. So you know, pick your battle because if they're yeah. girls, are they girls? Yes, his daughters, his daughters. It's a better time for yeah. girls now than it was in the '80s by a hundred million years when it comes to comic books. Agreed. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah, and and the, and the thing is, is that uh, it's you know like you know like i like i don't have kids so i can't speak to it but i don't think crap is a bad word in a spider-man comic i mean the crap i mean it's a you know like, <laughs> and, but, but maybe that maybe that's just a, a an example of the difference I've between i've had that argument yeah. as a parent where i said crap oh, yeah? i was like don't say that and i was like i'm supposed to say shit crap's better than shit yeah. crap was when i was yeah. a kid crap was the word that i substituted because i wasn't allowed to say shit yeah yeah so that's Ugh. i mean that's 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 a, that's subjective i guess yeah but I would like to applaud Brian for raising his children as Mets fans and Star Wars fans. So good job. Yeah, you go to Mets game, you're going to hear a lot worse language than that. That's <laughs> true. Coming out of Ron's mouth. This message over here. Especially, especially recently. My God. God damn it. <laughs> oh, I made a God, would it kill them? Would it kill them to drive in a run? That's all I'm saying. Apparently it would. Where are the bats? $27 million for what? I don't know what you're talking about, but I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I, oh, God. It's way more fun to watch you when the Mets are having a normal Mets season than a really good season. Although, <laughs> you were in a great mood before, so there's that. Keep in mind, last season, the Mets were only good for about a month and a half. It was the most important month and a half to be good. <laughs> yes, but it really was. Well, it wasn't a good season. But yeah, when they no, lost, no, June, June, was, yeah, June was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's let's wrap this up, Josh. Okay. So if you have any of your own questions or comments and you wanna you wanna join in on this fun, uh, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. Don't forget to tell us who you are, where you're from, and how long you thought about it. Podcasts. Yeah, some shows to plug. Uh, the Justice League versus Teen Titans animation special show came out earlier this week. It's right behind this show in the feed. You can find me and Paul Montgomery and Ryan Hop talking about the latest DC Universe animated animated original movie, and I sound. Both better and worse on that show somehow than I do right now. But that show is right behind this one on the feed. Yeah, no, I saw that come out and I was like, oh, that's me. I didn't know that was coming. I missed the memo, Connor. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> you've, you've been traveling. I have been traveling. We have other podcasts that are coming up, too. Things you can look forward to. Hopefully, Connor's voice recovers. Uh, but we have I can confirm that we have all watched Daredevil Season 2 and its completion. And we will be recording a podcast to discuss it and likely coming out next week. So, or likely coming out this week, hopefully. So keep an eye out on it. Keep an eye out on the feed. And then hear what we thought of Daredevil Season 2, which features the Punisher and Elektra and all that fun stuff. Uh, stay tuned. Um, and then on the horizon is Captain America Civil War. I have seen the movie. I attended the premiere in L.A. Uh, last week. I am not allowed to say anything about it, though, or else Connor will kill me. So you just have to wait. But then when the movie comes out, Josh, is, Josh you're going to see it. You're going to see it opening night, right? Yeah, I am. So we're, right. we're, I'm there. So we're, we're going to do a... 
We're going to do a very prompt podcast about Captain America Civil War, which I'm looking forward to. It's only a lot. about three weeks away. So stay tuned. All right. And then finally, uh, we're gonna, Goodfellas Minute. We're done with it, but it's still there. You can listen to it at any time. We, we put together. Do we ever add up like how many hours we did of shows? It's a lot. Uh, a lot of hours of shows. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. 20 minutes. I'll do the math on that. I'll have that for next week. Yeah. So it was a lot, but it's all a there. Lot. It's evergreen. If you've ever watched the movie, you've ever been thinking about it, go to goodfellasminute.com and enjoy that show if you like what we do here. All right. You want me to do this part for you? Just do it all. Your thing is. Okay, just, just do it all. all. Just, just do, do all this copy. Just, just do, do it all. Copy, Make yeah. all the meat. Make all that meat. I'm Make gonna, all the meat. All right. I'm going to read this copy. I'm going to read all this copy. I like that, that <laughs> Connor's like, sometimes you get a little froggy, like it makes you sound kind of cool. That's usually what Connor gets, but you're, you're past that now. It's just, That's what I had earlier in the week. Now I have like dying old man. Yeah. Please <laughs> read the copy. You can go to ifanboy.com and you can comment on this show. You can talk about this week's books. And I want you to keep in mind when you comment on this show, not about how uh, it sounded a little off, but how dedicated we are. Yeah. You can find that, all of our other podcasts, all of our videos, everything. Boy, if you want to if you want to see us talk to Robert Kirkman, there's a lot of that. Just in the archives there. You can follow us at Facebook.com slash iFanboy or at iFanboy on Twitter, and you can follow us individually at Jay Flanagan, at CS Kilpatrick, and at RonXO to see our various points of views or lack thereof on things. And if you like what we're doing here, you can write us a review on iTunes. You can mark that. Anywhere between one to five stars, depending on your preference, and uh, people are not afraid to, to vote their mind. Or you can, you can write a little thing up there. But more important than that, uh, you are our marketing uh, street team out there. So if you think somebody might like the show, let them, let them know about it. Spread the word. That's, uh, that's how we get it out there. And uh, that's always worked. So uh, thanks for doing that when you do. And that is going to do for this week's show. Let's wish Ron a good race. He will have been done with it by this. I think. Yeah, I know, but but well, no, yeah. By the time this podcast is released, the race will be over. So you might be dead. I will. Yeah, I will either be triumphant or I will be dead in Florida. How do you feel about this being a memorial podcast for you? If this is the last one you ever do, I feel like it's appropriate. Okay. Yeah, I get. I get that. <laughs> if, if this is the yeah, last one, that. then I'm, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. We, stay tuned to to my Twitter to see if I survived or not. Crossing fingers. Knock knock on wood. So all right. So until next week, if I'm not dead, uh, I'm Ron. I'm Connor. And I'm Josh. Thanks a lot. We did it. Sometime I think about leaving, do a little bumming around. I want to throw my bills out the window, catch a train to another town. I'll go back working. I gotta buy my kids a brand new pair of shoes. I drink a little beer in a tavern, cry a little bit of these working man blues.